What's up, guys? Welcome to the Lead Fast Podcast. This is Going Pro. My name is Daniel. I'm joined with Tommy Offord. Hey, guys. What's going on? We have a special guest on yeah. Zach Godley. He is the pitcher for the Boston Red Sox. And I have to say this because I think this is uh, outstanding. Zach is the first pitcher in the modern era since 19 freaking hundred to throw six scoreless innings with at least seven, seven strikeouts, strikeouts that's right and no walks in his major league debut and that's freaking phenomenal what's and, up zach hey how we doing we're good man good, we're man. good thank you for being here now let's go back to that stat because the best part of that stat is like in his major league debut yeah like brush showed up ready yeah for hit the ground run. <laughs> and i had and it was so much in that sentence like i literally had to read because i don't want to leave anything i don't want to butcher that anyway that's phenomenal man that's that's an, that's you. an incredible start like so but also hit the ground running. Like yeah. I, I've seen I've seen you take the mound a couple of times and bro, you <laughs> I love the like sprint out, the sprint off, like I'm here to play the that's bull. A, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Max told us all your old nicknames, man. But welcome to the program. We're excited that you're here, dude. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, don't believe everything you hear from her. I saw that look in your eyes. <laughs> as soon as I said it, we don't. Just for the record, we don't. No, I don't believe. I, uh, for, I think the rule for McKenzie is believe half of what you see and none of what you hear. Yeah, exactly. Like that's <laughs> and that's what we. I think that's the safest way to live here at Leaf Fast with McKenzie. Well, hey man, I, I've got a couple of questions right off the bat. Just some fastballs. Well, oh look at that pun. I didn't even mean that. Just just some quick ones I want to throw at you. He just definitely to, meant that. He's I been planning that all morning. I was going to use He's the like, whole warm up baseball whatever. These are just I say fastballs because you don't have to stay on the, like quick answers will do. I just want to get the you know the creative juices flowing. Uh, what is your drink of choice? Um, it depends on what you're talking about. <laughs> are you uh, talking about like alcohol or are you talking yeah, about like me, just regular Let's talk drink? about, let's talk about alcohol first. This um, is, I heard you're a scotch drinker. I am not a scotch drinker. He's uh -huh. not a scotch See, drinker. That's why whiskey. we don't believe. Well, whiskey, See, scotch is whiskey. I like bourbon. Bourbon. He's a bourbon guy. What's so. your, what, what's your favorite non-alcoholic drink? Uh, probably coffee. Coffee. Okay. I mean, yeah, that hits. For sure. Um, yeah, as he drinks coffee right yeah. now. <laughs> Maybe a mix of bourbon and coffee. Who knows? Uh, He's like, no, 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 not today. <laughs> not today. No. Okay. Uh, second question. If you had a superpower, what would it be? Anyone? Uh, the ability to control things with my mind. Ooh. I, I said like the that. same thing. You said go back in time. Yes. Yours was mesmerizing because you <laughs> put some like layers of thought into yours. <laughs> All right, that's uh, I'm on the fence between that and flying. I can't figure out which one I want to do. Okay, and then what is your favorite like topping of pizza? If you ordered a pizza right now, what's your favorite? What's your favorite? Um, Supreme. And from where? Oh, I don't know. Honestly, <laughs> I go a lot of different places. Um, I guess that's true, and probably you have different chains where you're at than what we have here where we're at, but. Honestly, like, there's places where I go where, like, Domino's and stuff's not available. So I have to kind of, wow. like, figure out what's the local yeah. thing. And if you say you want Domino's or Pizza Hut around certain areas, they shun you because <laughs> they believe their pizza is the greatest thing on earth. Yeah. And it's like, you have to try this place. And it's just like, well, I don't eat pizza that much. I just want I just, I just, just want to slice, man. I just yeah. want to eat a pizza and go to bed. Yeah. Honestly, I was in uh, I was in D.C. in uh, January, late January, and I was trying to order pizza before I went to sleep because um, I knew I had to eat, I had to eat all day. And it was so hard because D.C. has all these like really fancy pizza places. 
and I just could like I, it was so complicated. I'm like, you know what, guys? And I just hung up and went to Domino's. I called like three <laughs> different places, and I'm like, I just want a pepperoni pizza. So I judge pizza places. I do. I, I judge them. If they ask me if I want cauliflower crust, I'm out. I don't. You shouldn't be making pizza crust out of cauliflower. Like Ooh. that's the like you're too fancy for me at that point. I'm going to bed. McKinsey eats cauliflower crust. Yeah. yeah so hey, so you're from Bamberg, South Carolina. So I'm from Gilbert. So I grew up, you know, right there, uh, Gilbert, South Carolina, and uh, we're based in South Carolina now. So it's always good when you get, you know, hometown guys on here. Yeah. We had Danny Ford on here t- uh, last yeah. week, and so um, big Clemson fan. Now you didn't go to Clemson, you, and it's also cool. I love like your story because you got drafted out of high school, right? Didn't you get drafted? Yes, you got drafted by the Cubs, um, the Mets. You got see. So McKenzie makes show notes for us so that we're uh, we look smart. And this is the second thing that I've said out loud. The second thing, Mackenzie. She's uh, she's backpedaling on things. You can't hear her probably, but good, she's backpedaling. Good thing on I'm going to edit this. So yeah, it's all good. We can edit everything out. So, uh, but what was that like getting drafted, man? Like that's a that's a big deal. Like I think, like, especially you, right out of high school. Yeah. Yeah. I w- well, so honestly, a little bit of uh, kind of a little bit of a backstory there. Um, honestly, being drafted right there is kind of what pushed me to kind of play baseball. Cause I played football. That was my favorite thing. I loved playing football. I loved hitting people. That's just what I did. Um, <laughs> what what position? Linebacker. Linebacker. Yeah. Yes, sir. I can see that. And, and so, like, that's what I wanted to do in college. That's I wanted to play D one football. And when I got drafted, that was kind of one of those things where it's like, all right, maybe baseball. There might be something to this. It might be something a, a a route to try instead of football. Because I didn't start pitching until my junior year of high school. So I was two years into pitching whenever I was drafted the first time. I, I just want all the parents that pay thousands of dollars <laughs> to send their 11-year-old to pitching camp to hear that story. Yeah. Like He's like, yeah, I, my junior year of high school, I started pitching. I just wanted to hit people as a linebacker. Now I play for the Red Sox. That's ludicrous, man. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's kind of the way it was. Um, but so when I was drafted by the Mets, it was I, – I think then it was like 50 rounds. So I was 1,510 out of like 1,521 people. I was almost dead last, but it was just one of those things where it was like, all right, maybe there's something to this. So I was like, all right, I'm, I'm going to go try it and went and loaded a few schools as far as that's concerned, but ended up going to junior college and kind of just went from there. So the JUCO route took you to Tennessee, right? Yes, sir. And did you, so how many so, years did you play there? So I went to JUCO for a year and then went and played summer ball up in New York uh, on the Hamptons Collegiate League. And then that summer, the, uh, Coach Crowley and them came down and watched me throw, and then they offered me a scholarship for that next year. And I went there and played for three years and then was drafted by the Cubs as a senior sign in 2013. So, so what did you – so at the, when you were a vole, were you a, you're a starting pitcher, closer, mid-relief? What did you do? Yes, sir. <laughs> yep, yes. I did all of that. I did all of um, that. So, so when, I was, when I was first – when I first went to Tennessee – my sophomore year, I was a reliever and kind of did a few different things there. And then when Coach Raleigh left and Coach Rondo came in, my junior and senior year, I started from then on. That's awesome. And then when I, and then when I was drafted by the Cubs, I did not start. I went straight to relieving. I was at a closure with the Cubs. So That's awesome. So did you spend – how much time did you spend doing, like, did you go straight to AAA or – I, tell me oh, tell me the story into the, into the majors. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, no. He's like, hell no. <laughs> Um, 
Well, my story is actually kind of a quick one. Um, there's a lot of guys that have spent a lot of time in the minor leagues. I mean, there's guys that have spent, I mean, almost a decade just in the minors, just trying to make that uh, wow. that debut. I got lucky. Um, so, 2013, I was drafted. I went to short season, which was in Boise, Idaho. Then that year, I went to instructional league after the year was the season was over with. Went home, came back, went to spring training. My first spring training was 2014. I went and started off in Low A, which was King County, Illinois. Finished the year in Daytona for high A. When that year was over, they had, they wanted me to go back to instructs, but I told them I didn't want to because I was already uh, enrolled in classes. I was going to graduate. So I finished up my schooling. I graduated that December. Well, like two days before my graduation, I got a phone call from the Cubs, and they told me I was, I was being traded to the Diamondbacks. So I was traded from the Cubs to the Diamondbacks, and then two days later I graduated – I got engaged and then I went home. That's crazy. Wow. wow. What a week. And so, yeah, exactly. And then to so start of 2015, the spring training, I went to high with the Diamondbacks and it was uh, Visalia, California. I made the all-star team there and then went to right after the all-star game, we literally got on a plane and flew from <laughs> Visalia to Mobile, Alabama. That was the double A team. And then I pitched there for a month or two. And then they were trying to do some stuff at the big league level. They didn't know what they were going to do as far as giving guys some opportunities. And one of their one of their starters, actually the guy I started against the other day, um, he's with Toronto now, Chase Anderson. He got hurt. And they needed a starter for like three or four starts. So they called me up and gave me an opportunity. And that's how I got those three starts at the, in 2015. Man, talk about taking the like taking advantage of the opportunity because yeah. if, if you get a, you get called up and your first start, you go you know seven strikeouts and six scoreless innings like that's incredible, man. So, God, and I want I had like this. I mean, honestly, I had this narrative in my head. It was like he must have played ball like all through right. Know, yeah, as a, as a grew he, up, he came it. out of the womb with a you know a yeah. bat in his hand and a, <laughs> a glove on the other and that kind of thing. But that's not. Well, I mean, honestly, no, that is, I mean, that's true. Like, I, we played, I mean, we played backyard football growing up. Like, yeah. when church was over on Sundays, we'd literally go back to the house and we'd play football. Yeah. And then, I mean, we played baseball all the time, too. I played baseball from the time I could touch one until, I mean, till now. I mean, I've, I've always been playing. I just never pitched. I was an outfielder and a catcher. I just played, I played baseball because I enjoyed it and just kind of stay in shape for football and because I knew that if I didn't play a spring sport, they were going to make me run track. And I was not. About that. <laughs> I'm not running track. At wow. All. Well, Zach, let me ask you this. When, when did it start being like a reality that this is a profession, like this could be a professional thing? I mean, you, you did start out and you had the mindset, you know, after church and it was just kind of something that I guess all the, all the boys did. Uh, when did you start seeing yourself set yourself apart from everybody else? Or did uh, you? Was it kind of gradual even? Never did. Wow. Not as far as baseball is concerned. Uh -huh. I mean, really and truly, when I mean, when I first started pitching, so when my coach came up to me my junior year and told me he wanted me to pitch, it was – we had a guy on the team, Don Sanford. Like, he was from the town, like, all the way up from little kids all the way up to high school. He was the guy. Like, I mean, he made the varsity team as a um, as an eighth grader. I mean, he was throwing 90 miles an hour as an eighth grader. That's insane. Like, and gosh. he just – he was the guy. And so when 
when they asked me to pitch, it was just kind of like just so that he could have some rest, mm-hmm. just to have somebody else to be able to work off the mound. And because I, I mean, I had a strong arm, I, I really did, and I just had no idea where the ball was going. <laughs> but then, That's me, just minus the strong arm. <laughs> so I really like. I mean, it, as soon as I got on the mound, like it pretty much put me close. Like the only thing that put me close to Don at that time was velocity like mm-hmm. i could throw close to as hard as he could other than that he was still set way above me because he could throw the ball wherever he wanted with whatever pitch he wanted. and so i really wasn't i was never set apart from everybody i mean him and i were set apart from most of the guys in that league in bamberg because there was no one else that threw anywhere close to as hard as us mm-hmm. um and so from there like going to college and stuff it for me it was just a it was always a grind trying to figure out how to continue to learn and get better and essentially do what everybody else had been doing since they were kids. Yeah. As far as like throwing strikes and the mechanics of it and all of that. So I spent on pretty much the first, I mean, those last two years of high school and then all of college, just trying to learn my body and how I'm supposed to throw a baseball. So, I love that story. Like that's, I think for like a leader, that's important. Like, cause so many people have like sort of natural leadership abilities, but they don't have the, like the refinement mm-hmm. of all the tech. And that's his story. Yeah. You know? Like, I, Hey, I could throw the ball hard and that's what I knew, but I was probably, you know, you, I wonder if batters were just scared. Like this guy's being, how many people did you hit in high school? Like throwing it really hard and hit people. Hey, all right. So <laughs> yes. this, right, this, this is going to be a fun story. This I can is tell. one of the only things I remember about like high school, like the pitching side of high school. So when my high school coach asked me to, to pitch, I laughed at him first off because the year before playing catch with the guy on the line in the outfield, I had overthrown him like three different times and hit my coach in the dugout. Oh man! <laughs> so I laughed at him. I was like, coach, I hit you three times from the outfield last year. Like you seriously think I can hit a catcher? Yeah. And he's like, no, no. And he's like, we're going to, he's like, I'm going to work with you and see what we can do. I said, okay. So, First ball I threw off the mound, like, I don't even think the catcher moved. But it was, I think it was like 88 and 89. It was fairly hard. And so he's like, all right, we're going to have to try to work with you and try to figure out how to get you to pitch. So, okay, perfect. Well, then once I threw a few bullpens and got kind of where I needed to be as far as throwing the ball over the plate, we started putting hitters in there. And it was our own own team. Well, the first three guys that sat in the box, right in the back, just boom, 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 <laughs> all three of them. They got to the point where they're like, "I'm not, I'm, I'm just not doing it. I'm not getting, it. <laughs> I'm not getting hit." They dragged himself out, so they don't have to do it. That's funny. Yeah. Well, so, but I think that's like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. So my brain always works in metaphors. So whenever I hear a story, I'm like, "Oh, that's where that that relates in the in the business world or in in the in the leadership world." You know, there are a lot of leaders that have a lot of natural talent to just go be a leader. But they don't have the refinement. They don't know how to talk to people. Yeah. They don't know how to get people to do what they want them to do. And they end up hitting people, yeah. essentially. Like, you just you just do what you know to do really hard. But you don't have the the refined skills, uh, the soft skills of being a leader. And I love that. But, like, he spent years yeah. trying to refine those skills yeah. to make him uh, at a professional level as, as a ball player. And I think that's man, huge. Yeah. If a lot of leaders would say, you know okay, I've got a natural talent. People will follow me, but I need to refine those skills where I yeah. can get people to actually do that. And that's like a testament to the, the fact that it's not an overnight success type deal. What would you just pick so, up? You're talking about leadership. And yeah. it's kind of funny that you say that because 
I, uh, I don't know if y'all know, I don't know, I mean, I, you ever heard of Jocko Willink? Yes, I love Jocko. Yeah. Is that the leadership? Yes. Man, Jocko. Uh, that and Extreme Ownership. Like, yes. I, loved like, I, <laughs> I read Extreme I've Ownership. Read. That was the first real book I read that changed my life. Every, like, you can open the book and just land on a sentence. Everything yeah. he says is like, boom, like it hits you. And then if you yeah. listen to his podcast or if you ever hear him say it, it just has a double effect because he's like, okay. <laughs> and like, it's just, yeah, like he's yeah. just. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you like, lost your I job? Started, I, started reading, I started reading his book, The Extreme Ownership. Uh-huh. And then I, I found out that like he does the podcast. And then I found out that like they actually on Audible, they actually, yeah. him and the other guy Life read the book. Yeah. So I just, I just opened the book and pretty much let them read it to me. Dude. And like read it right there with them, and it, it, it does have that different effect. And, it, but yeah, no, it, it's kind of funny that you say that about the refinement of leadership and trying to figure all that out. Where, like, I mean, he pretty much preaches about that in those books. Yeah, he and and it's like another thing too on the Audible thing. You can actually go on Audible and get like the cliff notes, where somebody will read you the cliff notes of the book, which I had to after I read it. It, it had was to go just, back and get the cliff notes. Because everything was such mir- not that I didn't understand it, but I didn't want to miss anything. So I've read that book probably three times and listened to it a couple times. And I, every time I listen to it, I get something out of it. It's insane, you know, just this refined leadership process that the Navy SEALs have and, you right, know, the military yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Daniel's former military, too. So the, any, when you when you pulled out the tactics I book, I was like, oh, he got him. He got I, Daniel. I lo- man, I love Jocko Willing. He's a personal hero of mine for sure. Yeah, um, I so, enjoyed that book. So, I enjoyed both of the books. Yeah. So, where's life now? So we we kind of we caught, we caught it with you through college, and you went to the Diamondbacks, and now you're with the Sox, which you know, I mean, it's the Red Sox, and they're the team everybody loves to hate. You know, them and the Yankees. You got to hate the two winners. Uh, I'm, you know, I grew up, I didn't grow up a, uh, a professional baseball fan because I grew up in the South, and everybody loves college sports here, right? Um, but I lived in Connecticut for a bunch of years, and everybody was a Yankees fan, like, especially because we were right outside of, you know, Manhattan and, and in Connecticut and man, just to be, you know, Southern, I picked the Mets and I was like, I'm going to be a Mets fan. And so for like two, two, yeah, for two years, I was really hardcore into the Mets. Uh, so what's it like playing in Boston? I mean, that's a, that's a baseball crazy, well, sports crazy city, but it's a baseball crazy city. Um, honestly, right now, it's kind of hard to give you that. Oh yeah, I mean, with COVID and everything, that's crazy. It's not, it's not there like it usually is. So we, I played here in so twenty sixteen. So twenty, I think it was twenty sixteen was when. I think it was twenty sixteen was the year we played here. Might have been twenty seventeen. I can't remember exactly, but we played here um, with the Diamondbacks, and it was surreal. Like. Cause they, I mean, them and the Yankees, they sell out every single ball game. Like there are, it is hacked all the time. And so going from that game and then signing with them uh, a few weeks ago and coming here and then the games get started and you're like, wow, like it's not even close. That's awesome. What it, it usually is, man. So, yeah, I was going to ask what life was like in a pandemic from a professional standpoint, because that's just. <laughs> Does that throw you off? I mean, I know they're pumping in the sound, right? Like you guys got the sound of the crowd in the in the stadium. They do. Yeah, they pump. They pump in the 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 crowd noise and stuff like that. So that helps a little bit. That way, it's not eerily quiet the yeah. whole time. But 
it's still it's not the same not even close man freak me out i mean honestly we just freak me out <laughs> it's like the entire world's yeah. different now so we i've got this uh video we saw today of you striking out bryce harper uh like was that that was like one of your first ups right like that was early on where you like torch bryce harper i don't know which uh, he's, know he's which like i've done it a lot i don't know which time <laughs> you know bryce well, isn't so, as good as everybody when, says when he you, is when you when you no, it's not that. When you say that, when you say that statement, when you say striking out Bryce Harper, to me, the thing that comes to mind is we played them on Mother's Day. I remember it because I was wearing pink, and then <laughs> first time I faced him, I went three zero and I threw a cutter, and he hit it, and I, I swear I, I don't think it's landed yet. It went. <laughs> I mean. I mean, an absolute bomb. And then the next time I faced him, I, like the very next, like the next time through the lineup, he came up, and that was when I struck him out. And it was just, it was a strikeout on a pitch that I don't throw very often, and it was, it was kind of a, a highlight for me just to come back and do that after giving up a home run that I, I swear went 500 feet. So that's all. Well, so for me, that's like that's one of those things that I think, like as a as a leader in business, you don't get those experiences where. <laughs> you have to really go head to head with someone very often like that. You know, businesses don't operate like that where you're like, all right, I've got a chance to like win a one-on-one -on -one interaction with someone else. And so like, I look at that and I'm like, man, here's, here's a guy that's like prolific, like Br Bryce Harper, like he's on Wheaties boxes and stuff. He's that guy, you know, and he hits the ball a billion miles, but then having him like take like take one out on me and then like have to sh show up the next inning, I would want to go put myself in a like hole somewhere. How do you deal with that? How do you get up for that next that bat? We're like, all right, the orders come around and it's time for Bryce to come back up and he just cranked one. So I guess it's just competitiveness. I mean, honestly, or the thing is, is I like that. It's kind of being comfortable being uncomfortable. Uh, it's yeah. kind of one of those things where you. You just have to understand that hitters fail 70% of the time. The best That's hitters so ever fail 70% of the time. Hitting 300 means you failed the other 7 out of 10. 70%. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that like once you get that in your head and stop trying to give guys credit and just try to work through certain things and it starts to be a little bit easier as far as being able to attack guys and for the most part for me like I think a benefit for me, like growing up, like you did in the South, like we had, I had no team. I, I couldn't have told you before 2015, I couldn't have told you anything about baseball, nothing at the professional <laughs> level. My, my, my college coach, there was a coach, uh, Bill Moziello. He, oh, it drove him nuts that I did not know anything about baseball. So every day that I wasn't starting when he was there, I had to sit next to him and he would just ask riddle off questions constantly because he was a baseball nerd. He loved it. He lived and breathed baseball. So he was constantly asking me questions about guys from that played. And I never, I could never give him an answer. Like he was asking basic questions that anybody who followed baseball growing up would know. And I had no clue. So I think one of the things that helped me a lot was I was kind of, naive to what was going on like my first strikeout in the big leagues was ryan braun and, oh, wow. and that was i mean he was the guy who destroyed the diamondbacks uh in the playoffs and to me i had no idea I had no clue <laughs> he got booed every time he came up to bat and i was i was like i wonder why they're booing this guy i guess <laughs> I, was like, I had no idea so 
that's all Man. i think so i think there's a there's also a lesson there where yeah. it's like not having a backstory on things really helps you like handle things as they are yeah you know like not having to like you don't make superheroes out of people yeah because of their backstory well also i think being able to shut out the noise man that speaks to your confidence too when you know like he he hit the ball it went into orbit never came down essentially and then you see him come back up to the plate and you have to just like work through that and you talked about the facts that you stuck to a lot of people can't do that a lot of people once they're met with any kind of you know anything goes differently than what they plan their plans now shaken and then you know their confidence is shaken they can't recover from that and i think that's a, a key thing that that professionals probably do very well that other people don't is being able to say okay no you know what i've spent years working through this i've trained for this i'm you know i can do this he may have got me here but this is what i'm going to do and just refine redirect like and re-engage and then ultimately you know you, you strike him out that's that's insane i think the uh, the other part of that is to like the math was now in your favor because if he's only going to succeed three out of ten times and he just burned one yeah, and that, <laughs> now, the, and that, and that math, worked in his favor the too. Math, yeah. the, the odds are even better now. He's he's got a much larger chance of striking. I can see him up on the plate, and the little math equations, the <laughs> meme is like floating through. Yeah, yeah. Like, I got it this time. This is mine. <laughs> he's out there. He's out there from Bamberg, like a beautiful mind. Yeah. <laughs> trying to figure, <laughs> out, figure out the math. Oh man, that's oh, awesome. God. If y'all have more than one conversation with me, you'll know that that just. Oh <laughs> 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 um, man, well, I got I got a question for you. Uh, I think a lot of people may want to know what is your what is your pregame ritual? Like what what do you do to get? Well, he you? does he does interviews with us. Okay, yeah. First, well, I mean, honestly, this is I mean, I'm pitching today. Oh I, yeah, that's I, right. When I when I, when I told Mac that I would do this, I thought I mean I was originally scheduled to throw tomorrow. So, and when I got they kind of came up to me and told me that I was throwing on short rest. I was going to throw today. I was like, well, I'm not going to back out on the interview. There's no point. I mean, oh, man, I'm literally I not going to do anything. Yeah. So, my, like, so my life right now with the pandemic, this is what my life revolves around. This thing here. Nice. Nah, that's nice. pretty much it. Like, we can't really go anywhere or do anything, so I just play a whole lot of video games. Yeah, well, okay, so what's your game? Because we're, we're going to get yeah. into that right Warzone. now. Yes. Warzone. Warzone. Yes. All right, dude. Before this interview's over, we're going to need your gamer tag. We play every we night. We play every night. <laughs> And we're like, we always play the plunder, the three-man, four-man teams, but it's just me and Tommy, so yeah. we get rolled every once in a while. But we, as a two-man team, have come in first a couple of times. Yeah, like, yeah. But, but with, I feel like with a professional baseball player on our team, yeah. we would have to win more. We have to, especially with the mindset this guy's got. <laughs> Let's for go. Sure. No, you, you, you're not going to win more, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, I, I think you are shorting yourself. because. So, so wait, so you, I want to make sure I heard this right. So you're starting tonight? You're going to be starting against, uh, you're playing Tampa, Tampa Bay tonight, right? Yes, sir. I think I think the only way the Rays win is if they put Tom Brady in. <laughs> like they have to go borrow him from the Bucks, yeah, and bring him over. Like that's got to feel good though, because I mean, like Tampa Bay sort of sucks, right? I mean, they're <laughs> they're not not really. I mean, they're I mean they're a good team. I mean, that's the other thing about what we were talking about earlier, as far as like me being set apart from other guys, is like at every level, me coming up and me learning. Like, I've been right at the pace of everybody else. So everybody else has been just as good or better than I have been. Mm. And, I mean, it, it's the same thing here. Like, those guys over there are professional hitters just like the guys over here. I mean, it's just the same thing. Like, you're at that same – you're at that level where yeah. the, the, the talent just is the same thing. So Yeah, it's, it's – it's, everybody is 
talented at that at that level. Yeah. So, but if everybody is ta- so, help me with this. If everyone at that level, and I agree. I mean, I think there's like there's a level that you have to be at to be considered a professional. But if if all things are equal, how do some teams just dominate? How's that? How what what's what sets that team? What sets the Red Sox apart? Is it culture? Is it you know talent? Team. 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 Yeah. I mean, that's I would guess. I say yeah. I've never I've, been a it's, professional it's, player. It's, it's kind of hard to explain because of like the 2017 team that we had with the Diamondbacks. That was almost the exact same team we had in 2016, where we lost over 100 games. But in mm. 2017, just when we brought in the new staff and everything, that dynamic just changed, and everybody just kind of collectively was like, "All right, well, I mean, we can." All the pieces just kind of fell in place, and it was just one of those things that just worked out it was like a culture shift sometimes it just doesn't work out it's all about like pretty much i mean yeah it was for sure in, yeah. in arizona there was a huge culture shift whenever that new regime came in and um i think it's kind of the same thing when you have teams when they have so much a lot of like outside noise going on a lot of times it's hard to get that dyna- that dynamic going so that's why a lot of teams do really well when when guys know what's going on what their role is how they're going to be approached, no matter what, day in and day out, there's that comfort level. And when that comfort level comes in, guys play loose. And when you don't have that comfort level, that you don't play as loose because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know yeah. where you're going to go. You don't know where you're going to be. You don't know what's going to happen in certain situations. But when you're with a, a team that has an established, like, hey, you're this guy, you're that guy, you're going to do this, you're going to do that, like, there comes a comfort level with that. So everybody's like, all right, like, all right, we're getting to this situation. All right, it's it's my time to go. Or Mm -hmm. getting to this situation, it's his time to go. Like, you know exactly where that is. And when that comes into play, that it just – everybody just plays so much looser and so much more free and easy. And then you win ball games because of it. It just – it helps. I love that. Like, I I, I mean, that for me, like, we can end on that. Like, Mm -hmm. that was great. Like, if a leader can just understand that, like, at that level, everybody's equally talented. Culture makes all the difference. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that's not, it's not something you just say or read in a book or something like this is a professional athlete saying who can attest to it. Yeah. yeah, Like the same team, different results. And all that changed was culture. Yeah. Giving people a a clear sense of their role, where they need to be, when they need to be there. And that frees them up to be themselves and do what's best for the team and gives them that freedom to play free and easy. Like he said, God, so good. Yeah. Well, man, I appreciate you coming on today, this yeah. morning. I know you're pitching today. Um, we're going to watch the game. I'll, I'm going to watch the game. I'm excited. So we'll be like yelling for you. We'll have a watch party. Yeah, we'll, we'll grab some pizza and some bourbon. Some Supreme pizza, yeah. <laughs> we'll grab some Supreme pizza and some bourbon. We'll watch the Red Sox play tonight. We already got the bourbon. We already got, yeah, we've got plenty. Of our, that's the one thing our office is not short on. <laughs> we're not short on it at all. Nice. Hashtag culture. That's good. Yeah, we, we, speaking of culture. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, we're, we're seriously, we're so grateful for you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, what's uh, Where can people reach you? Like, do you, you're on Instagram? Yeah, I have Instagram and Twitter. Give yourself a shameless plug. Well, what's, your, what's your IG handle? Uh, I, I think it's at Godly's ET. <laughs> we'll put the I'll, I'll figure it out I'll put it on there make sure people know it no but for real man thanks for being on the podcast guys if you want more content like this hit us up on our Instagram our Facebook at leadfastco and visit our website leadfastco.com we got lots of resources and we'll see you guys next time see you guys